from Los Angeles, California on the MTV Podcast Network. This is North Mollywood. I'm Alex Papadimus, and sitting across the table from me, the tiny unicorn in the ancient tapestry that is MTV News, Molly Lambert. Hi, everybody. I'm a unicorn. Today, we're going to talk about ye old business. And MTV News' Tao Bugby has a 10th century nun for you to check out. Apparently, let's start. We'll, we'll, we'll start here. I don't re- exactly remember this happening, but according to my friend John Natchez, there was a moment in the Bob Mayer Replacements show where I referred to John Cale's viola as a fiddle, and actual viola players, I'm told, would uh, murder me for, for that <laughs> slight. So I apologize to violas, violists and to John Cale. And, and all stringed instruments. And to, by extension, the entire string section. I, I apologize for libeling you in that way. Uh, item number two, uh, Michael Catano, uh, podcast uh, wizard for the MTV Podcast Network, informs me that his brother got married at a Ren Fair. I felt like I wanted to throw that in there. I was wondering who gets married at the Ren Fairs because they sell like wedding rings there. And I thought people who are into the Ren Fair must get married here because it's such a perfect place for Ren Fair people to get married. I mean, especially if you met at a Ren Well, I was going to say, it seems like kind of a hot pickup spot. A lot of marriages are being born right there in the middle of Well, if you meet at a Renaissance Fair, you know you have something in common, (laughs) which is that you're both Renaissance Fair people. What if it was the only thing you had in common? That's still enough to sustain a relationship, I think, for years. (laughs) People get married over way less common commonalities. People get married because they like went to high school together. Like going to the Renaissance fair, you both care deeply about things that other people don't care about. You've chosen a life that contains the possibility of ostracism and, 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 you know, and, and, and ridicule. And And also I assume if, if you're get married at a Renaissance fair, you're probably like, you can't get divorced or you get your heads chopped off. So (laughs) (laughs) it's a medieval style marriage, a a medieval marriage. This is guys who've been married eight times at the Ren Fair and all well, their lives have eaten that's poison Henry, mushrooms. Henry the Fifth, right? Something like that. I don't know my my British history as well as British people do. Um, which brings us to our first segment, which is a, a, a segment called "I Challenge Molly." <laughs> we'll get there. We'll, we're we're gonna, the, the name. We're workshopping the name. It's called "I Challenge Molly." <laughs> <laughs> is forever now from now I, I jacques and what what you're jacquesing me of this week is not really hating medieval stuff as much as i may have claimed to on a recent episode of this podcast where i claimed to hate the medieval and to not be a fan of Middle Ages-themed stuff, and then listed a bunch of medieval-themed stuff that I do like. As we started to unpack it, and I think like I, I was throwing some things out there, and then also people, folks on Twitter, were throwing some things at you. I, I, I submit that you maybe like more medieval stuff than you dislike. Well, the thing I dislike about medieval stuff, which is the British colonialism, I really do dislike. But I'm open to the possibility that there are other cool medieval things that I'm not thinking about. And I'm sure that there is good fantasy and uh, fantasy fiction about 
other types of medieval constructions that I just don't know about because all the things that are the most popular are the most British colonialist ones. And I like Narnia. I like the Chronicles of Narnia, which is uh, just about as right in the high fantasy area as you can get. That is like one nerddom that has completely passed me by. I've never cracked a Narnia book. I'll tell you what's cool about Narnia that most of other medieval stuff doesn't have is that it has female characters, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is why I was drawn to it over Lord of the Rings. Because Lord of the Rings has almost no women. And there's like a billion characters and like none of them are female. Maybe the dragon is female. No. No. I guess nobody. They've, yeah, no, they had to like in, like insert female characters into the Hobbit I know movies. that. Like People were mad about it. They were like, in. how dare you change this false history to be more inclusive? But Narnia ha- is like two main female characters. It's, a, it's brothers and sisters who go to the other world. Um, it's also all a Christ metaphor, which I didn't know. It's an allegory. Totally went over my head when I read it as a kid. I just thought it was about... Going into a magic world through a wardrobe, which is so much cooler than other things that are high fantasy. Right. The lion is Jesus, right? That's the... Well, supposedly. (laughs) I just thought he was like a Totoro. I was like, oh, he's their friend who's a talking animal. Totoro is also Jesus. Yes, probably. Totoro is my my Jesus. (laughs) Totoro is my co You know, my, my secret theory is that Olaf from Frozen is Jesus. Because now he's associated with Christmas, and he like melts and then comes back to life. Yeah, that's true. That's, so. that's true. He loves the, he loves the summer. Also, Frozen is a little medieval, right? Frozen is medieval. Yeah, Frozen is one of those kingdoms you can't really exactly tell when it is because some of the uniforms seem sort right. of modern modern ish. Well, but it's, it's also like a made up Norwegian country, right? Yeah, it's the Disney past. You know what it's called? I bet. Um, oh man, it's Arendelle. I Arendelle. There you go. Arendelle, you you're all right with me. Yeah, my daughter was way into Frozen and then like just like com- completely just shut it off. It, it got too be- popular. It became uncool and like she, immediately all the kids just like dropped it. Like, she liked their earlier stuff. Yeah, Frozen's Frozen's done. Like, we what's got, cool with the kids now? What's cool with the kids now? I, like, I mean, I don't know that my daughter is the best example. To uh, she's cite. your daughter, so she's probably pretty on the pulse. Necessarily, yeah. No, I don't know. She's like, uh, there's a lot. Of, I think you know, Lego is cool. I feel like huh. when the Ninjago movie comes out, like that's going to be their Star Wars. Like they're just, they're all going to freak out. That's going to be their Avengers. What's Ninjago? Ninjago is like this Lego universe where it's like a Lego kung fu world. When I say I don't like medieval stuff, I'm mostly talking about medieval England stuff. Oh, medieval Japan. Medieval oh. Japan is so much cooler. <laughs> oh yeah, all that stuff like Throne of Blood and everything. Yeah, like, that's really yeah. All those that, I'm I'm down with any like yeah Lone Wolf and Cub. I feel like is, yeah. You know. And I thought of some other medieval set stuff I like, like the Seventh Seal. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's medieval. And you like Shakespeare? I do like Shakespeare. Although a bunch of people chimed in to say that's not medieval. It's early modern. Okay. But the Renaissance Fair takes place in Elizabethan times. Yeah, it's a confusing. I'm sure there's a reason. Yeah, I'm sure. Don't at me. I'm, I'm sure not, there's and a I'm reason not, why. They I'm call not pro monarchy, but you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for Queen Elizabeth, as I do for any famous powerful ginger, especially ones that maybe were virgins their whole lives and just interested in power. You know, so there's stuff I like about Elizabethan times, especially. Uh, I think it's mostly has to do with how many clothes you have to wear that puts me off it makes me think 
it's not not the time for me. Yeah, I mean, it was a difficult time for a lot of people. That's not, right. Not the greatest time not for women in general. Not the greatest time for... But you know what? What was? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nor literally was... Literally no nor time. Nor is now. <laughs> yeah. Literally no time was the good time for women, except for the possibly fictional matriarchy prehistory that we like to think existed, and the Kardashian empire. Yeah, that's, it's the future. That's, the uh, that's future our matriarchal matriarchy. future is being yeah, written out in Calabasas right that's now. That's right. We're going to call a medieval expert that we both know to help convince me that there are lots of cool things about medieval times. I have just been looking in the wrong places. We'll be right back. Here to talk to us further about medieval stuff and maybe provide us with uh, some better terminology than uh, the, the term medieval stuff. Uh, you have heard her on Game of Crowns. You have seen her writing here on MTV News. Tao Bugby. Hi. Great to be on North Mollywood. Just conquering the MTV podcast network one podcast at a time. <laughs> Next, I'll have Doreen and Ira drag me on speed dial. <laughs> you can call in. There's a there's a phone number. Everybody everybody should call and leave a message for Doreen and Ira. So, Teo, we were talking on Twitter a little bit about medieval stuff, and uh, Alex was challenging my own opinion that I hate medieval stuff with lots of very good evidence about medieval stuff that I like. And then you were chiming in with a bunch of really cool medieval stuff. <laughs> To make yeah, an I argument. mean, like, the thing with medieval medieval stuff, which I think is actually the technical term, is that you have to go to the ladies. The ladies are all are where all the cool medieval stuff is happening. Who was the lady you were telling us about on Twitter last night? So I was talking about Hildegard of Bingen, which I would say Hildegard of Bingen, like a top five conversation starter for me. I brought her up at so many parties to people who are so uninterested. Um, <laughs> but she was a nun in the like 12th century in Germany, and she was the founder of like natural history in Germany, and she did all these kind of crazy things. She was an orator, and she wrote, and she had all these visions, and basically was just like, I don't know, queen of Germany, but like from within the church. And she made a bunch of really interesting uh, outsider-y looking art that you... Totally outsider-y art. You're so right. The way I think of it is kind of as what you might have drawn on your binder in like eighth grade. But then all of the things that she was drawing were like her visions of the universe. They were all really cool and made me think maybe I've been looking in the wrong place that what I don't care about is sort of your knights and ladies courtly, you know, stuff. But... <laughs> Maybe right. <laughs> it's uh, the weird witch women who lived in the woods is where... Totally, the mystics. Yeah. The mystics and the visionaries, that's where you have to go. The wild thing about it, too, is that, like, I think for us, like, we assume that that would be something that would be really outsider-y, but then the thing that's wild about it is that that was just, like, the main culture. Like, the most famous woman in that whole century was this crazy woman who basically had intense migraines and so she would have hallucinations and her hallucinations were like how she communicated with God. You know, that's wild. That would just never happen. And that's like the kind of thing that was 
happening all over the place. Yeah, I mean, the art was incredibly psychedelic, is the word I would so use. So psychedelic, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I could even describe what is happening in those, are they paintings? They're, so they were like illustrations, What's okay, so they're illustrations in a larger text that she dictated to secretaries that were, were sort of like her philosophies of sort of mystical, visionary Christianity. I'm, but yeah, they're, they're painting. I'm all for your kind of esoteric spirituality. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, exactly. That made me realize that I also have a very strong interest in alchemy that does not fit. Oh, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't fit into my own uh, assertion that I don't like medieval stuff because alchemy... <laughs> I mean, I think it's a very interesting time in science because you had sort of these like spiritual scientific practices that were very much based in, you know, we have to find out how to turn things into gold with the philosopher's stone, but then that turned into chemistry. It was sort of the origin of what became chemistry and that, you know, astronomy sort of did come out of like early astrology and, and looking for where the end of the universe is and then it becomes actual science at a certain point or I guess you know one of the cool things about this woman too is that like she so some of what she wrote was were these kind of like mystical texts like philosophy and things like that but then a whole nother thing which is probably even more relevant to how she's been sort of used and appropriated in the time since her death like you know 800 or so years ago is that she would, she like made illustrations and made records of all of the sort of natural medicinal herbal kind of things that were going on. And so she had like really elaborate records of sort of, sort of early medicine. And so like that's been, I mean, obviously their systems of health were different then and like super gross. Like they were like bloodletting people all over the place. But, you know, they had, like, the humoral system, and all of that was sort of affected by plants and herbology and sort of things like that. And so it's really interesting, like, the way in which science sort of develops through these very, I don't know, connected to... And you said she lived to, like, a very, very old age for for a medieval person. Yeah, she was, like, 80, 81 when she died. She defeated the plague. Yeah, she, well, she was pre-plague. I guess, like, maybe we never know, like, what happens during plague times if Hildegard of Bingen just, like, drops dead with, you know, some good old sores. Hey, if the plague comes again anytime soon, <laughs> I don't know that we're that, that much more prepped. Yeah. yeah, though, that's true. I think the plague is back. I think there was, like, a case of the plague in New York last year. Oh, I think I heard about that, because don't they, like, keep some rats, keep some plague rats around in case they need them for an antidote? Seems... Oh, God, do they? They that's usually <laughs> They usually keep, like, a little bit of anything deadly just in case you need it to make, right. make the antidote. That's a very secretive name. They're the same rats. They've kept them for, (laughs) what, 600 years. (laughs) (laughs) Just one rat that's like just thousands of years old. They live in the subways, I'm sure. (laughs) Now, and and Hildegard Vodvigan was also, she was also a composer, right? Yeah, she was a composer. Um, So that was like another thing. She's one of the, if not the oldest composer whose biography is known, and so, like, she's, like, the first person, man or woman, mm. I believe, in European history where they can trace her work back to her. So women invented music is what you're saying. 
women in, yeah exactly Ex- recorded music or like recorded you know writing wise um, i don't think that they had phonographs then you are a great ambassador for medieval stuff because you are really shifting my my worldview around <laughs> i'm telling you know what i took like a really good class in college that got me really into nuns i'm just like that's the one thing i'm ride or die on i the love nuns. tiny nuns are where it's at <laughs> yeah because they didn't have they they had no distractions to keep them from just focusing on their art yeah totally and it's like one of the few sort of societies that you can look at in western culture especially that are totally matriarchal and you can kind of work your way up through this society of women and you have like all these mentors that come before you who are all also crazy you know like it's like visionaries on mystics on all of these weird (laughs) weird histories that sort of build on each other in a way that's really interesting Alex is a big fan of another matriarchal society. The Kardashians. Kardashians. I was thinking (laughs) of the exact same thing. Of course. But I'm also... the the answer. Calabasas is the new new convent. (laughs) I I mean, that's an entirely separate conversation. But no, I actually have... (laughs) I have a favorite outsider artist none, though, which is Sister Corita Kent, who's an amazing California outsider artist, did these incredible, uh, very uh, political, which eventually got her into trouble and she had to leave the order because her work was getting a little a little too hot for the convent to be, you know, <laughs> co-signing. But her stuff is really beautiful and really just, uh, you know, it, it looks like, you know, it, it looks like like trends in graphic art that would be going on years and years later, but she was sort of inventing it almost in, you know, a, a kind of vacuum and everything. Who is that British nun with the art show? Sister Wendy? That Sister Wendy. Nuns What's are Wendy? the greatest artist. She had like a PBS show. She was like a Joy of Painting or something. That was Bob Ross, but yeah. it was a Bob Ross like. She was like a like a just a cool nun who would teach you about <laughs> art history. I think I maybe I want to be a nun. Maybe is it I too mean, late? Nuns are where it's at. I'm kind of down for it. I think definitely, and you know, like you were talking about it on your last podcast. How people are like, they, are, they always think they're going to be queens and kings. Without question, I was a lowly nun. <laughs> no doubt in my mind. But not lowly because you have the secrets of the universe. Right. That's true. Yeah, maybe I was a, a visionary. <laughs> yeah, nun slash alchemist is the, is the thing to go for. No, it's weird. I was asking about the music because oddly enough... Last night, as I was preparing for this show, I was listening to this uh, a, a musician that I was going to talk about. Who's this French guitarist named Noel Akchote? Well, I'm going to pronounce. I'm totally pronouncing his name wrong. I'm sure mm-hmm. of it. French. To, imagine I'm pronouncing it in a more French way, like Noel or something like that. And he did. I'm I'm a fan of him because he did this great record of compositions from the uh, sort of the Renaissance era by a guy named Carlo mm-hmm. Gesualdo who's famous for inventing a bunch of uh, weird tonalities and things that would recur years later, like Stravinsky was a big fan of him. And the thing that's interesting about Gesualdo is that A, he did all of this work, uh, he was a nobleman, and so none of his work was heard in his lifetime. He just sort of transcribed it and then other people discovered it later. And the other thing that's fascinating about him is that he was a murderer. He murdered his, Ew. yeah, he murdered his, uh, I think he caught his wife with another man and uh, th- I think threw them both out of a window or something. And so people talk a lot about this and how like 
all of these uh, sort of strange tonalities that show up in his music and then nowhere else until years later when it's rediscovered, like, is that the sound of madness? Is it the sound of, <laughs> of, of murder? So uh, Noel Akchote did this, one of my favorite records ever is this record that uh, Drag City put out of, uh, of Akchote playing uh, those songs, a bunch of uh, Carlo Gesualdo's madrigals because that's the form that they take. Uh, but Akchote also recorded some Hil- uh, like 10 albums of Hildegard von Bingen. Stuff Amazing. Of her she's, she's everywhere. David Lynch recorded her too. Real? Oh, like he played it. Uh, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, he did. Like a, he did a weird album with some random soprano singer, where the soprano singer is singing all of you know the lyrics and everything, and then David Lynch sort of does the underbed, the production. Yeah. It's really weird. It's really fun. Just like industrial <laughs> grind, and there's also a Devendra Banhart song about her, which I that was where I I'm going to embarrassedly say that that was where I knew that name from first. The Log Lady is kind <laughs> of a Hildegard. Yeah. She's they're... kind of an outsider mystic. That's true. There's a tradition, and she's kind of a, she's kind of a nun because she's sort of she's you know separate off from the world. She had a well, husband who died in a fire. She's married to the log. Yeah. Well, she's yeah she's married to the woods. That's the yeah. That's I'm the into whole the thing. woods. I like to. I could marry some woods. I think uh, that's a cool part of medieval stuff. Is that's all paganism, the... which is a whole oh. separate. Oh, you know what you could go for? I would be down to be an anchoress, which is like the super nun, where you just like stayed in a room all day and didn't talk to anyone, but then you were like you know surrounded by nature well thank you super nun teo for talking to us about medieval stuff i do feel like i'm gonna get indoctrinated and this is the beginning of that and i'm totally gonna go listen to some hildegard hildegarden hildegard hildegard von Von bingen hildy (laughs) all right little h for little hildy well thanks so much for having me this is so fun thank you come back anytime yeah please do This episode of North Mollywood was produced by Michael Catano and Mukta Mohan for the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at MTV News and at MTV Podcasts. You can subscribe to this and other MTV podcasts on iTunes.